Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is Friday, and amazingly, we start off this Friday with some pretty good news on the jobs numbers, uh, the economy adding a whole lot of jobs, and then revising the the number from December. So, uh, Tim Miller, we can start on a, on a high note. Uh, by the way, good morning, Tim. Good morning, Charlie. Starting on a note of optimism. That's that's fresh. I, I, I kind of feel like there's a bait and switch coming or something. No, I'm not no. used to this cheery tone from you to start. Well, I, I figured we would just sort of set the table with this. Although it occurs to me, looking at these numbers, is it possible the Bureau of Labor Statistics just isn't very good at this? <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? It's like everybody was like, the entire narrative was how terrible December was. It was really terrible. It was really, and they go, hey, never mind. Actually, uh, the economy created more than 500,000 jobs in December. Um, are bad. So, yeah, you know, here's where my old Republican might come out, Charlie. I do think that government bureaucracies sometimes aren't as good as you may, they maybe might make themselves out to be. I don't. I know that this is going to be a shocking observation to you. I, 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 I want to go back and revisit a, a something when I realized this about the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. And it was when I was doing something that kind of fills me with a little bit of shame now. But I was a young man working at the Republican National Committee. And, you know, and Barack Obama's in office and every month these numbers come out and every month you got to put out a statement that's like, well, the jobs weren't not. Where are the jobs, President Obama? And, you know, I was kind of one of the parts of the job I really hated uh, because I was like, I don't I don't want to have to put anything out about this. It seems kind of stupid and performative. But, you know, there was pressure from on high. And um, and and one thing I started to notice as we did this was like the revisions are very common. (laughs) Like so, it's hey. like all it's it's from voluntary, uh, you know, form the businesses some fill out. Sometimes the form businesses don't fill out the form. You know, it has the same problem that polls do. So, uh, you know, as far as margin of error, so one Friday a month, the first Friday of every month, people get all hot and bothered about this. And uh, you know, it is always best to kind of wait a few yeah. months. So that doesn't really serve our political and media purposes. And it's also not possible. I just maybe they're just having a particularly hard time though counting jobs during the pandemic. I, yeah. It just seems these revisions half are, million are, off is pretty bad. Kind so we can talk, we, we we can talk about the the China. Uh, we we don't see any genocide Olympics uh, a little while. Uh, just or not just gonna... one more thing on the job. Yeah, oh, sure, sure. Side, yeah, yeah before, uh, we, before we there, dive into the dysfunction. Yeah, dystopia. There, there was uh, an encouraging number though um, about the labor participation rate. Again, you know, hopefully yeah. that doesn't get revised back down last month. But I, I like one of the you know issues. You know, in in the economic recovery is you know it's been kind of weird, right? Is that the market's doing good? You know, the unemployment number is looking good. You know, but the but you know there's been this sort of displacement and and this lack of matching of people getting back into the workforce, and and so while the unemployment number has gone down, like the number of people in the workforce hasn't really changed all that yeah. much. It's ticked up a little bit. That changed a lot. Um, in this last report. Now, again, hopefully maybe, we just, we maybe. just said, you know, yeah, we just said maybe there'll be a revision, but I, yeah. I, I was happy to see uh claim this morning was touting that. Um, and, and I've been happy to see the Biden administration touting that because I, I and that is really where, you know, uh, that's going to have an impact on the inflation, right? Part of the thing that's driving up prices for people is, is, um, you know, the lack of, uh, of folks uh, getting back into the workforce and getting back to the kind of workforce participation rate we had before the pandemic. So I was happy to see them touting that. And and that, if that continues this year, would be good news. So knock on wood for that. It could. Uh, get back to me in April. We'll look at the, yeah, these exactly. these numbers. So as I said, we're 
about to have the um, we don't see any genocide uh, Olympics in, in, in China. I tweeted out snarkily this morning. I said, you know, remember when we said never again, we will never again avert our eyes from genocide. Uh, apparently it came with an asterisk. And unless there are the Olympics, there's games, big TV contracts. Um, and it's China. Who apparently we just treat China like it's in a box. Doesn't it feel like China's in a box that if anybody else tried this shit, that it would play out differently. But it's China. Like, uh, I don't know. Gotta, the yeah, NBA's got to play. It's like, you know, got to make some movies. What? Yeah, I've been saying this for months. I, I really don't get it. I don't, I, I feel, I'd feel bad for the athletes, right? I, the Olympics mm. is, you know, a lot of these sports, right? These are not the same as, you know, your big major team sports where the athletes, you know, have a lot of chances to shine. Yeah, um, it's only every four years, right? So, you know, that might be right in your peak as an athlete. I, so I do feel bad for the athletes. But it, it kind of seems like the old college sports thing where people said, well, you do feel bad for the yeah, student athletes, but we're going to keep paying them nothing. Uh, like, I, it, do, it doesn't seem like we're really participating in it because people care about the athletes' feelings. It does you know, seem more about all of the corporate and financial windfall that, that surrounds it. Uh, it I, right, yeah. I mean, that's not an obvious take. But I, it, I, why are it, uh, Beijing... I just I said this last time on the live stream and and folks we welcomed Will Salatin to the live stream so if you're not a Bullock yeah. Plus member join and go go listen to that because we covered a lot of ground but I they had this fucking thing in 2008 like it, it definitely seems like the Chinese are um, gaming the system uh, with the IOC uh, I mean they, they just had the Olympics you know what's that 15 years ago you know there are a lot of countries on Earth. Uh, I, I don't understand why the West is not flexing their muscle and 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 saying no, you know, to to this type of thing. We we shouldn't be participating in this. It's not only the genocide, but it's Hong Kong. It's the way they're menacing Taiwan. It's Tibet. It's it's the virus. Yeah, they uh, the virus they lied today. about. You know, there's this <laughs> little virus that killed millions of people that they lied about and were responsible for. I haven't seen them take responsibility for that and and apologize and try to reform so that the next time uh, there's a coronavirus that spurs out of somewhere in China that they're, they're going to act differently. I, I just, I don't see an argument for participating in this, no, honestly, I'm, besides the feelings of the athletes, which I do feel bad for, but, but the yeah, rest I feel, of it. Yeah, right. I, I, I feel the same thing. I, I, I really, you know, given the fact it's only once every four years and, and they work so hard and they, you know, and they don't get a lot of other rewards yeah. for it. So yes, I, I, I feel for them, but the thing is such a ridiculous farce. Yes. And tonight, it's tonight they're going to have the opening ceremonies. Um, it's tonight, right? Or is it tomorrow? Um, uh, I'm, I'm skipping yeah. it, so it's and not. It's, it's not you know on my. Exactly dance what card. it's going to be. It yeah. is going to be just this. This raw, whole, raw China. Yeah, raw, raw China. The Chino jingoism. And look, I, I was happy that Biden made some steps, you know, to not have a diplomatic corps or whatever, yeah. uh, you know, participate in the charade. But I, I did think it was a kind of an opportunity for him to take back some of the nationalistic fervor. I, you know, maybe I, I haven't seen any polling data on this, so I might be wrong. But I, I, I do think that there are opportunities to for, for them to signal that, no, that they are tough on China because they are. And I, and I, and I sometimes it doesn't feel like the, the Democrats' uh, rhetoric matches their actions on this because the Biden has really? kept the Trumpian tariffs on China. Um, and if you listen, if you like pay close attention to, you know, the, like uh, speeches that don't make the headlines, you know, the rhetoric is not kind to she. It's really it's frankly tougher than what Trump used to say about him. But, you know, I, you don't see the 
you know, the big statement of principle, um, you know, and, 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 a, and a big attempt to, you know, stick a middle finger into, the, into China's eye, which they, which they deserve. And, yeah. you know, it's just like if it was Richly. just the virus, that would be one thing. The virus is bad enough, but, I, you know, they're one of the most repressive regimes in the world. I just don't understand why we're giving them this platform. Well, I agree. Okay, so this is Friday. Yeah. And this is the week. It has been less than a week since the former president of the United States actually stood up and dangled pardons for the insurrectionists of January 6th. It has been less than a week since the former president of the United States, reading off the teleprompter, uh, threatened mass demonstrations and unrest uh, if prosecutors tried to hold him accountable. Uh, We have learned all sorts of things this week, including about possible plan to have the federal government seize voting machines. We know a little bit more now about the way those faked and forged uh, electoral uh, certificates might have been used to overturn the election. By the way, his phrase, overturn the election. So I kind of want to put a line under this, like people, I know we've been dealing with this for a long time, but this is fucking insane stuff. But just in case you don't think it's fucking insane enough, the Republican National Committee today in this week, when all of this is going on, is passing a resolution censuring Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, the two Republicans who are honest enough to want to find out the truth of the insurrection. I mean, it is beyond I know that it's gotten I'm I'm I'm. I'm struggling against this. You know, you know, look, look, at this RNC meeting, they're going to declare her Republican opponent to be the what the, you know, the actual nominee without even having the primary or something like that. But I mean, there, there's no there was, there's no discussion of Trump's behavior. It didn't come up. They, there was no suggestion that they were going to censure Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar, Lauren Boebert, Madison Cawthorn for the latest insane bigoted thing that they have said. So the purge is only for Cheney and Kinzinger because there's only one standard, one standard in this party, which is loyalty to the orange God King and his obstruction of justice. But, and I tweeted this out. I I just need to spend a moment on this. Did you read the actual text of the resolution? Have you seen this, Tim? I I didn't read it until I read your morning email right before I came on. So you can share it with the world. Oh, Oh, okay. So, So this is how the Republican National Committee is describing the investigation into this violent attack on the Capitol that left five people dead, hundreds of people, including police officers, wounded. This is the language. Quote, Representatives Cheney and Kinzinger are participating in a Democratic-led, here it comes, persecution of ordinary citizens engaged in legitimate political discourse. Ordinary citizens, legitimate political discourse. Remember, this Who past did this, this Orwellian, not yeah. like honestly. And it Who passed. A, well, good question. And it passed unanimously. Not one person on the resolutions committee said, hey, you know, maybe some crazy redneck rube congressman is going to say that this was a normal tourist visit or something like that. You know, or maybe, you know, Ron Johnson might say something stupid about it being, you know, just legitimate discourse. But do we really, as the Republican National Committee, want to use that language? And the Republican National Committee's answer is, fuck, yeah, yeah, we are all in, all in on this. Yeah, there's a lot there, Charlie. Uh, I, I want to get back to the Trump part, um, but uh, and the lack of um, condemnation from from him because I think it's actually worse than than you laid out. Um, but I, wow. I, but just on the uh, on the Kinziger and Cheney part first, I, the unanimous thing is really telling. 
you know, because there are a lot of, how should we say it? The, 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 you know, you remember the privately concerned from the Trump era? Um, you know, there was, uh, you'd get a Bob Costa or a Maggie Haberman story that would have a privately concerned Republican <laughs> that was not putting their name on, on the record, but just wasn't so sure that they thought they were worried that the president had gone a little too far this time. They hoped that he, you know, pivoted back to care about the issues. That was a common phrase. A lot of those folks are like on this committee, right? I mean, now the committee is some crazy people, right? The committee is made up of state party chairs and state party national committee women so and, and men. So it's sometimes, you know, grassroots MAGA folks from the states. But, you know, it's also sometimes people hold that role who, you know, have had a position within the party for a long time and it's an honorary thing and they're, you know, your traditional establishment Republican types. So a lot of these, you know, types who've been around the committee for ages, Ron Kaufman's an example. He was, this Mm -hmm. is a guy who was Mitt Romney's aide de camp, longtime Massachusetts guy. He's been on the committee for ages. You know, this is, you wouldn't have thought Ron Kaufman would be a coup guy. Right. I, I just, I'm just using it as an example. Right. And he's the type of person that, that goes around Washington, you know, still dining out with people, with his friends from both parties. And, you know, anytime the Trump crazy stuff comes up, it's like, well, you know, he overstepped a little bit there. There was none of that. There, there were no objections from any of the quote unquote good Republicans on the committee. I and mean, there's, you know, almost 200 people. There was not a single person That's who amazing. said, who said, no, I, I cannot sign on to something that calls January 6th legitimate political discourse, legitimate political discourse. I cannot sign on to a thing that kicks <laughs> out Liz Cheney, who is a Republican in good standing on every issue. She's not a Tim Miller squish. She's a Republican in good standing, a conservative on on every single issue except for uh, uh, the fact that she's not for a Donald Trump autocracy. Like, that's it. That's the only... She was even with fucking Trump all the way up until he tried to steal the election. And and so... And there's not a single person on the committee that says, "Wait a minute, like this is this is too far." And that is this that is a cult. I, I was happy to see Romney and Cassidy tweeted yep. about it this morning. But like that's it. Like you have a committee, one sixty eight. You have one hundred sixty eight people. That is a cult that they have signed signed a blood oath to Donald Trump, and they are the representatives of the Republican Party. I, like we all knew all this, but I, that is still pretty the unanimousness of it. I know is yeah. really something. So, you know, it, there's been a lot of, uh, I think, wish casting about, uh, you know, Trump's grip on the Republican Party seems to be loosening. And there's a couple of data points. You can point to a couple of polls, uh, the fact that some of the Trump endorsed candidates aren't raising a lot of money. But I think that what's happening in Salt Lake City, where the RNC is meeting, is, is kind of that, that reality check that, no, they are still completely in his thrall. And also, they're just not going to move on. I mean, it's clearly there's only one litmus test and it is it is his his airing of grievances. But I do sense and you tell me. about. I mean, again, I, I, I confess that I probably am not a fair broker because I still suffer from PTSD over the last six years. But I sense a little bit of frustration among Republicans or maybe I'm projecting that they think they have some good issues. They think they're going to win this year. And a lot of them would like to move on. Remember, that was the reason for getting rid of Liz Cheney is that she kept talking about it. Why won't she move on? And clearly Trump is saying, no, you are not moving on. This is, you know, 2022 is all about relitigating this. 2024 is all about my grievances and relitigating all of this. And there have to be some frustration among Republicans saying, oh, good grief. We have all of this other stuff we could be talking about. And yet this guy is going to force us to keep coming back to the big lie, to the obstruction of justice, to the coup over and over and over again. 
What do you think? Well, yeah, there is that frustration, and you can see it. I, you you can see it, and the, here's how they're dealing with it. Uh, you know, the the Republicans who agree with the way that you framed that question, I, you know, they're just not. They're just trying to pretend like he doesn't exist, right? Yeah. Like there, and this goes back to the Sarah Longwell article from a couple weeks ago about the parallel universe strategy, right? right. And 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 it's working. And so I, I think I understand. I think that there's sometimes some frustration. You know, um, with people on the left, you know, um, that's like, well, why are you talking about this? And people in the media, there's Trump fatigue. And I want to get to this in a second. Uh, why are you talking about this? But like the Democrats, as a political matter, need to to wedge to to figure out a way to break that parallel universe strategy. And this and these sorts of things, the RNC type type, um, you know, action is just one you know, arrow in that quiver, right? Because like, uh, you cannot, they cannot be allowed to get away with this, right? Like there, there are a lot of Republican candidates. I wrote about David McCormick in Pennsylvania. There are a lot of these Republican candidates that are going to try to do the Glenn Youngkin two-step on this. They cannot be allowed to get away with the Na- National Party unanimously siding with the domestic terrorists. I, that is absolutely insane. It is it is far beyond the pale from what we've seen from I mean both national parties are kind of kooky and you know you know have strange resolutions from time to time. Like this is another matter entirely. And it was completely voluntary as well. There was no need yeah. for the Republican National Committee to weigh in on this at all. So um no. But just yeah, uh, really quick sure. on the media thing with Trump, because I because the, the you know we joke and laugh. It's like, well, the committee didn't didn't censure the guy that tried to seize the ballot boxes. But I, I, I don't know. We I haven't been on you know now in two weeks with you, Charlie. So I, all of the revelations that have come out in the in that time, you know, both mm-hmm. some of them weren't even revelations. Both from Trump, you know, saying you know in the statement that he wanted Mike Pence to overturn the election to the New York Times story saying that, no, it wasn't some outsider's random memo. It was Trump himself that was, yeah. you know, suggesting that they seize the ballot boxes. I, I I feel like the reaction to this has been, maintains, you know, continues to be understated across the board. I, I You know, obviously the Republicans aren't doing anything. The good Republicans even, you know, admit these guys aren't saying anything. But the media... I, you know, I, I just don't know. I, I, sometimes I think it's hard that, that Trump has just created this environment of crazy, the farrago of crazy, as you like to say, that, uh, you know, prevents, you know, that makes it hard for the media to judge what's news, what's not news. But like, I, you know, if you had told me 10 years ago that a former president of the United States would admit that he attempted a coup, <laughs> like I, you would yeah. think that would have been fucking front page news in every paper in the country for, for a while, for days, maybe. Um, you, you but it think. was like, it didn't even you make think. the paper in certain places. You know what I mean? Like I, people, no, just sort of I moved another, oh, another crazy statement from the orange guy in Miami. I, 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 I don't know. I, I I've been pretty disappointed with the mainstream reaction to it. I think there's a fatigue. That's related to it, but it it shouldn't be. Yeah, I think there is a fatigue. So there's a development that let's not spend a lot of time on to wait to see whether it actually plays out. uh, But uh, Huffington Post, uh, is it SV Date? Yeah, uh, is reporting. He's a good reporter. He, he's reporting that uh, former Vice President Mike Pence today is expected to rebut again claims by Trump that Pence could have overturned the election uh, to let uh, Trump remain in power despite losing the election by more than seven million votes. So, uh, you know, Pence has been scheduled to speak to the Conservative Federalist Society's conference in Florida. And some of his advisors are saying that he's likely to respond there to Trump's latest attacks. But 
you know, Pence, um, you know, will often disappoint. So let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. But uh, I think that's going to be an interesting development. I'm going it, to. It's going to be very interesting to me to see um, what Pence says uh, because. You know, look, the guy's not going to be president of the United States. He's not going to win the Republican nomination, but he's right there at that pivot point of deciding how he wants history to remember him. And he's got a defining moment that could actually be one of the kind of profiles and courage for democracy. I know that certain people disagree with me about this, but or he could just piss it away and, you know, figure that, that there's some way to get himself back in, into favor in Mar-a-Lago. But I, I don't know what he's going to do. We'll I think he's going to keep trying in a way to make nobody happy. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I, so I, he, you he remember, I went, to, yeah. Yeah, I went to see him in South Carolina, his first speech back, uh, mm -hmm. the first yeah. time he was supposed to distance himself. And, you know, he pays lip service to, doing, to, to disagreeing with Trump on the 6th, right, and doing the right thing. And I'm sure he will tonight in front of the lawyers and say that there, you know, there was no legal standing for me to do this and that we should stop you know trying to advance things that are outside the law but but it's, it's within this context of how great the trump administration was writ large right and 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 the man still thinks he can be president yeah uh, i find that preposterous but he really does the people around him do and i, I just I, I think that that he will continue to offer this kind of limp noodle the pushback Right. That like where he says, I guess he says the right thing in, in narrow, you know, if you just read one sentence in a newspaper article, but but broadly, you know, he doesn't push back. And it's like, where is the emotion? I, you know, and this man sent a mob wow. to try to kill you. And yet he's still going to talk about how he showed broad shoulder leadership and just made a bad judgment call in this electoral count act. I mean, it's like, I'm sorry, I guess it's courage. And it's like, it's it's the limpest courage ever. I am not uh, uh, betting against you on all of this. So, have you seen the movie Don't Look Up? I have, yep. Okay. I, I was thinking about it this week. I mean, there are flaws in the movie, and I don't want to get into whether it was a good movie or a bad movie or anything, but it did nail a couple of things. So, of course, for people who don't know, there is this comet headed straight for Earth. It's going to destroy all life and everything. And there are people trying to warn about it. But one of the things I think the movie does pretty well is, is showing how the media will always get distracted by some sort of a, you know, celebrity squirrel off here that they're really obsessed about this this one empty-headed celebrity whether she's breaking up with her boyfriend or everything i kind of was feeling that way this week where we have the former president of the united states announcing yes i actually did try a coup you can't handle the truth he's actually standing up there and saying it in real time and here we are going so let's talk about whoopi goldberg and <laughs> who, who jeff zucker is diddling and stuff that's like and you know what, I'm saying, it, it is a perfect example of the way that we have all these big things out there. And yet what what sucks up most of the oxygen? So, so can we spend like 15 seconds? Whoopi Goldberg says something stupid about the Holocaust is suspended by ABC after apologizing. Should she have been suspended? I don't care. Yeah, um, I don't me. care. I, it is not, I, the whole thing is insane, Charlie. Who cares? I, it's, it worked out. Kind of as it should have. A celebrity has a talk show. They said something stupid. They got pushed back on. Uh, uh, you know, they get off air. You know, they hear the pushback from people. They're like, yeah, I guess what I said was pretty stupid. They said what they said was stupid. The network yeah. suspends them okay, 50, for, as, a, as a CYA. 15 it's seconds over. left. Okay. Yeah, okay, sorry, then it's over. Who, care? Who cares? This is What's not it? a threat okay. to fucking free speech or, or anything. Like, this is all fine.
Well, and also it's just so ridiculous because uh, it accomplishes nothing, but they, they have to go through the performative motions of all of it. Look, it's the view where you have celebrities on talking about things they know shit about. And so, hey, amazingly, you know, on The View, somebody says something stupid. End of story. Okay, so. just Can I do one more thing about who the worst people are? Kind of like Whoopi, but the worst people in this whole thing are the people who are obsessed with cancel culture and who now have to performatively be like, and now, and I don't, and I, in order to yeah. be consistent, I also don't yeah. think Whoopi should be canceled. And it's just like, nobody's canceled. No, Joe Rogan's not canceled. Whoopi's not canceled. Everybody's fine. Like, there, we do not need to have a, a, a big article in the National Review about the end of free speech. Everybody's fine. Nothing happened. It's like everybody is okay. Some people like said something, one opinion. Other people disagreed. Some people said something stupid. They apologized. It's uh, the world that is continuing to spin on its axis. Okay, so should I be pissed about this? Oh, I, I just got an email. Okay. Uh oh. So your your, your first reaction should be you're reading emails while you're talking to me yeah, on the I podcast. Just, that was a good yes. stick I just had right there. A good little uh, bit. I, you're not even listening see, just, to it. That's see, fine. See, I, I figured see, this is one of the advantages of having you on because it's like Tim Miller, go put it in the quarter. I, I I can go <laughs> off, do stuff, and everything, and come back, and I know that you've had this great rip. So actually, Bill sent me this. Okay. Some guy named, should I even try to pronounce his name? Vivek something. Just uh, put out a um, an email saying, announcing my second book. Dear family and friends, I'm excited to announce my second book, Nation of Victims. The book will be published in September. I'd be grateful if you could pre-order it. Big headline, Nation of Victims by Vivek. That's my fucking book title. <laughs> I wrote The Nation of Victims in 1992. Come up with your own goddamn title. <laughs> Tell okay, well, so I, is it, is it, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, Charlie. Uh, okay, so little, it's a little bit more serious. Uh, the, the fall of Jeff Zucker uh, at at CNN. I would normally say that uh, you know, just another one of these celebrity weird uh, things. But you know, two points about it. Number one, it just doesn't seem to add up that much that he claims he is resigning immediately because he had a consensual affair that he didn't disclose punishment fit crime obviously you got all the cuomo stuff it's all messy but number two i'm sorry i just can't have a pity party for jeff zucker given the role that he played uh in um i suppose you could say in the attack on democracy but he's the guy that put donald trump on television with the apprentice he's the guy that made the decision to air those those rallies wall to wall uh his legacy is i'm sorry i'm just i can't be part of the fan club it's horrible. I, yeah. yeah, I'm even worse than that. I'm an anti fan. I, and in addition, he's the guy that put Jeffrey Lord on TV and and you know sent a car up to Pennsylvania every day so he could come down and do lies mm. on behalf of Donald Trump. And then uh, as mm. JBL in his newsletter about hired Corey Lewandowski three days after he was fired as campaign manager uh, and when he had an NDA. I, I, the whole thing, uh, JBL uh, posited that it was you know white affirmative action, and there may be some of that, but. I, I, I I worry that maybe he ha, he has some kind of effect over people. I mean, like there apparently apparently there was this big uproar at the CNN DC office, yeah. you know, where where otherwise smart people were like like were really mad about this on Zucker's behalf. Apparently, uh, th there are Democratic Congress people that have been calling CNN folks saying they're worried about our democracy's ability no. to survive. That might be bullshit. That might be bullshit. CNNPR. I don't know, <laughs> but like. I don't. I don't get it. He's just. He's just a TV producer. Like uh, you know, he's a glorified TV producer. 
and and you know their ratings are are going down um and you know the 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 network has turned into a lot of talk which is fine uh but i I think that there's some argument for pivoting back towards like you know more news gathering and and doing things beyond you know chatty panels and i i just i don't see it and his actions in 2015 and 2016 i'll tell you charlie I i don't think i've told this on this podcast before i had one of the nerds that worked for me on jeb's campaign go and look and count the number of times Jeb had been mentioned on CNN between Trump's announcement hmm, and hmm. a certain date. It was like in the fall. And and they were mad that Jeb wasn't coming on more. And I was like, you want to know why he's not coming on more? Look at this. And it was it was like, you know, I don't have the number. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was basically, if, let's say Jeb had been mentioned 100 times. Like, yeah. like 78 of the times were... Or how did what was Jeb saying in response to Trump, or what was Trump saying in response to Jeb? Twenty of the times were his poll numbers. Two times were other things. Right? I mean, like his coverage, their coverage, which was Jeff directed of the 2016 primary, was madness. And it was Trump was the sun, and everyone else was circling around him. It was not just the empty podiums, which were bad enough. And and so you know, I, I don't know that that's like the reason Trump won. Obviously, that the, the he tapped into something with the voters. Well, it didn't uh, hurt. But, but it certainly didn't fucking help. And, and no, so now, uh, yeah, it didn't hurt either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and okay, so, so for, for people to remember what you're talking about, the, the empty podiums, I mean, they were so slavish in their coverage that they would actually have a split screen where they would be doing the news. And then they would have like a shot of the empty podium waiting for this candidate, one of a dozen candidates. It was, you know, if you want to write a history of how the you know, mainstream media screwed itself, this is, deserves an entire chapter. For sure. For sure. So, you know, I, I agree with you. The whole, the story seems kind of weird and it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the real truth is behind the scenes about why he's leaving. But to me, it's been the hagiography of him afterwards that is just mind boggling. You know, at best, he was a net negative impact on our democracy. <laughs> he certainly well, was not so. a savior of it. And uh, he certainly is replaceable. I don't, I don't you know, there's this weird notion that like Jeff Zucker is not replaceable. God help us if Jeff Zucker is not replaceable. Okay. So speaking of people who are replaceable, uh, you had a really tough piece this week about Chuck Schumer. You broke bad on Chuck Schumer this week. Yeah, I did. Um, you know, it just the did, did I push you to that? Because I, I I put something on Slack where I said this was just gobsmacking political. No, you did not push me into it. I, well, this I did. Is like great, great, great minds thinking alike. Yeah, it was great. It was an example of great minds thinking alike. Because I, 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 as I said in the article, I've had this since I've had the little note in my in my little notes that's like the Chuck and Nancy show. If I like, it's got to come to an end sometime soon. I, I've been thinking that for a while. I, they just. The age, not to be ageist, but just with Biden as a as a combination, it just uh, the visuals are not great about the party's gerontocracy. But you know, you wanted to give him some time, and and he, they did get infrastructure passed, they did get the COVID relief passed, he's gotten judges passed, so it hasn't been a you know a, hor- a horrible um, record. But since the fall, uh, you know, I, I just don't know what Chuck Schumer has been doing, and I don't, I forget if he talked about it on your mm-hmm. podcast or I just read it on his Substack, but Iglesias. You know, uh, also Matt Iglesias also wrote about this, and and you guys had a great podcast together mm-hmm. where you know he's talking about th- about how weird it is that he kept hearing about the fact that Schumer really did have fears of an AOC primary. Yeah, and I'm like, this if that is really why he's acting like this, if that's really why they did this stupid voting rights show that had no chance of passing, that kind of minimized the importance of this very critical issue, um, uh, because he just needed needed to 
protect his flank from an AOC primary. I and mean, that is insane if that's true. And if it's not true, it's it's just a sign of really bad strategic judgment. So I, I don't I don't know that they it is really possible for Schumer to be replaced before the midterms. But I, I was hoping that it at least would be a wake up call to you know the Democrats in DC who read us that, that there needs to be a change in tactic and a change in tack if he's if he's going to be kept around uh, because you know the the moves on with Mansion how he how he cut that deal with Mansion that didn't tell anyone about it uh, you know for people who haven't seen the background they they signed a piece of paper where Mansion said Chuck on VVB here are my limits one point five trillion max you know there's some some of these programs are not going to be for other ones I will be for. You know, again, it wasn't the perfect deal for progressives, but it's still 1.5 trillion is still double the Obama stimulus. I mean, Manchin was still given a lot of leg on on. You could have gotten some big programs for 1.5 trillion and and some big feathers in your cap you could campaign on. Chuck cuts that deal with him, then doesn't tell anybody, figuring that he can maybe mm-hmm. twist about Manchin's arm behind his back to get him to support more. Like what? And then then and it comes. You know, he doesn't tell. When you say doesn't tell anybody, doesn't tell Biden. Or doesn't Pelosi. tell Pelosi. Yeah. I just like, can't even get doing? my. I cannot even get my head around it. I mean, yeah. honestly, I, just political malpractice. What are you doing? Yeah. And so, so then obviously BBB collapses. So here we are. We're back at square zero. His original deal with Mansion is off the table. Whatever they're going to get from him now is going to be worse from a progressive perspective. And in order to cover up for it, he did this voting rights charade. Uh, it's been a bad strategic few months for Chuck Schumer, and and they need to wake the hell up. Uh, over there. And so, you know, hopefully, uh, I feel like this is the nice thing about being a former Republican is that we can kind of be YOLO. I I had some Democratic friends who texted me and they're like, I agree with you on this. But if I tweet it, it's like, you know, I get yelled at by so and so. So, you know, well, we, we, have get freedom, we have the freedom to, to, to do that. Okay. Speaking of being yelled at, do we want to destroy your, our mentions here? Oh, by the way, I got to say, uh, people who ought to check out your this week's Not My Party. I didn't know which direction you were going to go on the whole issue of affirmative action and the Supreme Court candidate. And, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, woke Tim Miller is going to go, you know, all in on all of this. But you had a very nuanced take on it. I, I thought you did a really masterful job of pointing out the issue, pointing out the hypocrisy of uh, some of the Republican critics of Joe Biden, but also reality check about public opinion on this issue. So I think people should check that out. Yeah, thanks. It's a tough one. Uh, you know, it is you, a want, tough one. you want people to be like, oh, rah, rah, rah. And so, uh, you know, look, I, I, I'm i a person who, I'm woke to Miller. I am a person who thinks representation matters, and I think it should be a factor. But I, I just, I do think that in the bubble, in the Twitter bubble in particular, in the left-wing bubble, there is a uh, a lack of awareness for uh, how some of the some of the raw identity stuff gets gets translated by by regular Americans. And it's not popular. Some of the affirmative action stuff is not popular. And I think that there are ways to talk about this and to support representation that, you know, is within uh, something that, that is popular, right? Which is, is just adva- advocating for social justice and advocating for diverse viewpoints. And like all of that is good. Uh, but it's like the quota stuff, you know, rubs yeah. people the wrong way. So speaking of the of the bubble, yeah. um, apparently there is a piercing of the bubble here. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Joe Biden goes to New York, meets with the new mayor of New yeah. York, Eric Adams, and is explicit as possible, says we are not going to defund the police. We are not going to take away your resources. We are not going to leave the neighborhoods unprotected. And of course, you, you can tell that, that he's been listening to people saying you need to say this. But it is fascinating watching some of the blowback that he gets from, you know, progressives in places like New York who are like, no, no, Joe, 
you shouldn't be saying these things, but we'll we'll see where it goes. Okay, so speaking of like destroying our our mentions, just really quick on this, Ad, I want to sure. add one thing because who else has chimed in on them? And just a named for people to keep an eye on if they're Bulwark listeners, they don't know him, Richie Torres, and we should maybe have yes. him on the podcast or something. Richie yeah. Torres is a congressman from up there, yeah, very progressive, uh, per, yeah, much more progressive than than us, um, but but has been really good on this issue and really clear eyed, um, uh, you know, in talking about you know the importance of balancing safety and also you know caring about gun violence um and 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 so anyway so adams you can see uh, i guess this is why i wanted to mention it because it is encouraging just coming off the unanimity conversation with the rnc you know it's not good politics to be divided as a party so it's not great for the democrats that they're dealing with all this but for those of us who are hoping for a rationally based party you know it is encouraging that there at least is a, a a adams biden torres faction that might not be well represented on twitter.com but like within the party within the elected officials and the voters since they voted for these people by the way um it's encouraging to see that it is very encouraging Okay, so since we haven't completely destroyed our mentions yet, um, you were discussing the question of gerrymandering on the on the live stream last night, and I, you know this is one of those I I actually have like a note for a thing that that when, when I you know am, am feeling up to it to write a piece about democracy with a small d, democracy with a big D, power and principle urging people not to confuse all of them. But the gerrymandering issue is, and again, take a deep breath here, is one of these where I understand that Democrats cannot unilaterally surrender. But one of the things we're finding out is that gerrymandering, which has been held up as this existential threat to democracy, um, it's actually not turning out that bad for the Democrats. In fact, the, the, you know, Dave Wasserman and others are saying that it looks like the Democrats are actually going to come out ahead uh, on this because for every horrible story of gerrymandering in Texas or wherever, or uh, in, uh, in, in, in Tennessee, the Democrats have been pretty aggressive in gerrymandering in New York, in Maryland and Illinois, and they're probably going to come out net negative. So this is one of those things where, okay, guys, since we're dealing with this existential threat to democracy, which I, I think is real, where do you put gerrymandering? Yeah, I put it pretty low. So flame away. But I, I think this is a complicated thing. So just bear with me. Everybody sit in the rocking chair for one second. Let me just yeah, uh, yeah, I just yeah. explain my, my, my view on this. Because for you know, the Democrats are, just as a matter of fact, the Democrats are going to probably come out ahead this time or at least close to even. Uh, now, they were, they were going from a baseline of... Of, of a gerrymandered house that, w- that benefited the Republicans, right? Uh, we aren't going from baseline neutral uh, because the 2010 uh, gerrymander for a Repub- really benefited Republicans quite a lot. Um, that said, uh, you know, Democrats have been ruthless in New York and other places um, in, in Maryland. Uh, and, you know, the, the courts have intervened in a few places in Republican states, which is good to kind of create more fair maps. And, and as a result, we're going to end up with kind of a neutral or slightly Democratic favor on the 2020 redistricting. Okay. So that said, I, I think that there should be some changes to the way that we do districts. Like I think communities oh, yeah. should live together, right? Like the, the Utah gerrymander drives me crazy. I've mentioned this a couple of times. It's like Salt Lake City, they turn the state into four corners, you know? And so they're like four little arms that come into Salt Lake City and take out all the Democrats. And so then the, each district can be Republican and have all the people in rural Utah. 
you know, like Salt Lake City should have a district. Like this, this is the kind of thing that shouldn't be hard, right? Um, a, a community should have its own district. Like that's the whole point of having geographically based districts. You know, there, there, there. I would love to see some kind of reform that tries to incentivize competitiveness in districts. I, you know, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but all this but those, stuff gets complicated. Yeah. Well, it's complicated because those might not be consistent. Because right. if you keep communities together, given the way that voters have sorted out, yes. um, that is going to you know create these bubbles. And places like Wisconsin, for example, one of the reasons why it's so hard to redistrict is because Democrats are super concentrated in Milwaukee and super concentrated in Dane County in the Madison area. And Republicans are super concentrated in the suburbs. And if you try to draw lines that make the districts competitive, then you break up the community. You can either have, you know, communities of interest, or you can have competitive, but you really can't have both necessarily. Yeah, this is right. And I got yeah, yeah. this on a panel. There was a, there was a progressive activist and I was on this panel and, and gerrymandering came up a couple of years ago. And, you know, I was, I just expressed the same view I just expressed, right? I think communities should be yeah. together. I think we should try to incentivize competitiveness. But then the, um, the, the progressive person in this case disagreed because they wanted, and this is, again, a fine goal to have with, with districts. They want majority-minority right. districts, right? But, but you know, if you're, if you're in Texas, for example, to have multiple majority-minority districts, you know, you do have to kind of do one of these silly, goofy things where you split up Houston, right? And so there are two minority, you know, uh, you know, there are two districts and, and you draw these kind of weird little maps like you do in New York City to, you know, to get, you know, to combine, you know, more minority heavy areas with, you know, richer Upper East Side areas or whatever it is. Um, and, and so you get these kind of funky looking maps. So it's like, are you upset that they look funky right. or are you upset? Like, what are you upset about? Right. So, so it's complicated. And, 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 and to your exact point right there about how we're, we're self-sorting, we are all self-gerrymandering. And I think that there is this right. view on the left uh, that like with, 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 if we fixed all the districts, it would help Democrats maybe a little bit. Right. And then there's this view in the center that's like, Oh, if we fixed how we did this, we wouldn't have so many extreme people in there. It's like, that's not true. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene's district is not gerrymandered, right? Lauren Bobert's district is not gerrymandered. Like they just represent insane constituents. <laughs> like, right. The constituents are the problem. They want what Lauren Bobert and Marjorie Taylor Greene are selling. Neither of them are in crazy districts. So I, you know, look, I think that there are certain things that we could do, you know, um, then but then there'd be a big fight about it. But like the answer is the democracy is not being saved by this. Right. Like, like this is not the silver bullet. It's not the magic elixir. It is not the problem. And, and, and like lumping it in with the vote counting and voter suppression and all this stuff, I, I think is is and is wrong. And I think it's part of the mistake of the Democrat strategy on this from the start. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. And and again, I understand why Democrats are doing what they're doing. You know, they, they feel they're just playing, you know, the cards that are dealt them. But power is not the same as principle. And so what happens is it does, you know, lower the credibility issues. You get a lot of eye rolling. But we'll see how this plays out, which is why I keep coming back to the Electoral Count Act. If you want to talk about the five alarm fire, the ticking time bomb that we have to disarm right now, it is the Electoral Count Act and the possibility of a coup. I thought JVL made a good point last night where he said, you know, gerrymandering is bad. It's more like, you know, poison sort of sleeping, you know, seeping into the water. It, it has a long-term negative effect, but right now the house is on fire. And I think yeah. that there needs to be, you know, a distinction there. Yeah, one other thing I, I wrote, uh, I think maybe on Monday, about how 
you know, there's this demand of never Trumpers that we all care about norms and traditions and how yes. I, I bristle oh, yeah. at that because I don't love norms. Um, and like certain, some norms are good and some norms are bad. Like this is such a prime example of that. Like in a healthy country with two healthy parties, like we could just look at this and say, well, let's stop the power politics games. Like it's not really helping anybody. It's just undermining faith in the system. Can't we all get together and figure out, you know, some basic rules not everybody's going to come in with everything they want, you know, for all the reasons we just laid out, because sometimes these things, you know, compactness and competitiveness and uh, representation are at odds and like come up with some basic rules and just redo this and see if we, you know, see if we like the next system. And, and then in 10 years, if, that, if there were some unintended consequences, we can tinker with it again. Like that's how a healthy system would work. And, and, and by the way, it is how our system worked for a while, you know, where there were lots of changes to these types of things. And, and you know, the, the party power politics has ruined that. Um, and you know, now there's not even like, to even say that is like laughable. Like you would like somebody, if I said that around my friends, like, this is what I think we should do with gerrymandering. Like they would laugh at me and be like, you should be on a no labels panel with that nonsense. You know what I mean? Like, I, and that's how, how sad is that, that that's where we're at. It is sad. So uh, anything else you want to rant about before we go into the weekend? Ooh, I wasn't ready for that question. I was ready for all the other questions. I had my shtick, I had my riffs. Um, I, I don't, I don't have anything. I'm excited about Joe Burrow. Oh, well, it's an off week this week. Though. I'm excited about Joe Burrow. Yeah, so we won't get to talk yeah. about that if I'm not on next week. I'm excited about my, the little LSU love, the Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase connection in the Super Bowl next Sunday. I've, I've got a T-shirt. I'll probably be wearing a very obnoxious T-shirt on next week's Not My Party that uh, has Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase's face on it. So I'm pretty excited about that. I'm concerned so, about Aaron Rodgers coming to the Broncos. That might be something that's relevant for the two of us. I'm too, pretty too concerned soon. about that. I, I, I'm going to need soon. a memo from you if Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers goes to the Broncos and how to deal with my mixed feelings about having Aaron Rodgers on my home team. You know, it's hard to overstate how uh, how negative uh, folks are in, in here in uh, you know the cheese world um, about Aaron Rodgers. Uh, you know, I I actually posted a couple things that were somewhat negative about him, and usually you get huge blowback like "Leave Aaron Rodgers alone," but did not get any of that. So, so the NFL took two, two things just you know popping in, into my mind here. Um, number one, uh, have has the league ever had a better playoff series than than this one? I mean, look, w- w- whatever side you're on, these games were freaking amazing. I think it's been amazing. Un- Joe Burrow is magical. It's part of the reason. And, yeah, okay. uh, and you know, I do feel bad for Eric Trump, who quit right. watching football over Colin yeah. Kaepernick, so he hasn't been able to enjoy it. That's too bad for him. And, and remember one of the uh, the signature moments <laughs> for Mike Mike Pence was going to a football game and then walking out of the football Storming game because somebody out. took a name. Yeah, because... I thought it was we, weird that the Wokes won football in the, in the culture war. I never would have seen that coming. Well, uh, speaking of that, though, I, I think the NFL's got a real problem with this Flores lawsuit, uh, the the racial discrimination lawsuit, and the fact that I mean, you know, and the, the and, and the whole Rooney rule, which apparently there was sort of the wink, wink that every team had to uh, interview an African American, and some of the owners, some of the teams apparently just treated that. I mean, they, they turned it into a farce and now they're getting busted on it. So can I just, uh, cause this is relevant to the Supreme court thing too, yeah. honestly. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like the token, they're like, we're going to have this quota where you have to have one person in an interview. Like people don't like that. Right. Like, like for, for this might be latent racism or white fragility, but white people don't like it. They bristle at it. They're like, why should we, there be an automatic slot? And then obviously 
for good reason. People like Brian Flores, people of color don't like it. So like, wow, I'm just getting brought in as, as a show pony for this one interview. And like, and, and, and they bristle at it. It's like, there needs to be a broader value of, of we really need to have more diversity and representation. And, and like, that needs to be a broader value that happens to the top and people at the top should be criticized when they don't fall into that. And, and I, that's easier said than done, obviously, but it is crazy. That there's one black coach in the NFL. I mean, all the players are black. I, not all, but, you know, I mean, 80, 90% of the players are black. One of the coaches is, uh, you know, you, you can't look at that and not look at the ownership in the NFL and think that there's bias at play. I, you just can't look at it like that. And so I, I, I do think that they're in trouble and the, the, the giant, the Bill Belichick goof I think it's hilarious. Um, uh, is, is like, you know, just prime, right? right? With, uh, well, people who are not got, following this, Bill Belichick, um, you know, is texting. And apparently he does. He's not really good at it. So he thinks he's, he's texting another guy. And Ryan he, he Dable, texts, uh, who's yeah, this white he, coach he, who gets he, the job. Hey, congratulations on getting the job. You're going to be great at this job. And this guy, Brian Flores, who had not yet interviewed for the job, is going, what? And he goes, well, it, uh, this is what? It's Brian, right? What, I'm sorry. What was his name? Rabel? Yeah, Brian, 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 yeah. So he's texting the wrong guy, making it very clear that he knew that the Giants had already picked somebody, but before they'd even gone through the motions of, oh man, how do you text the wrong person, bud? I've done that. So I do get it. Uh, So it's maybe one step, you know, old man thing. And another for me is sometimes I get too hot with texting people on my computer on the iMessage. That's dangerous. Don't do that. Don't text people via iMessage on the computer. That's dangerous. Um, you know, it happens. But I, that, I, how much more stark of an example can you get than that? Like you haven't even had your your interview as like the one one minority candidate and the other guy's already gotten the job. And, you know, it's just um, anyway, good for Flores. Flores probably blew up his career over this, by the way. He's a young yeah, guy. Um, you know, people thought he did a good job. Miami he got fired, but you know, because the results weren't the same on the field. But he did seem like somebody that'd be up for other jobs. And and you know, owners obviously don't like somebody's going to air dirty laundry. So um, hopefully it makes a difference. And this stuff's been going on. I mean, it's like, come on, 50 years now. And the Rooney rule is from the 80s, 40 years, <laughs> like 35 years this has been going on. And still one coach, um, it's a sign that the system's broke. Yeah, you would think so. You know, we haven't even talked about the fact that uh, Joe Biden took out the leader of ISIS. We should have talked about that. Hell we should yeah, talk Joe about Biden. that. Hell yeah, yeah. Joe Biden. That was a good, that was a good win. For Joe Biden taking out the leader of ISIS, and and you know I don't I don't know we'll see what happens in Ukraine. I haven't been as negative as everybody else at the bulwark about the Ukraine stuff. We'll see. I don't I don't know. I feel like they've been, uh, you know, I, I loved that they were slapping at Josh Hawley over this, and oh, yeah. um, you know they they seem uh, I'm, to I'm that. The, yeah the foreign policy stuff seems to be writing a little bit. We'll see. All right, doesn't have a great weekend, Tim Miller. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Appreciate it always. You too, Charlie. See you, man. And thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back on Monday, and we'll do this all over again.